One person that okay, maybe I shouldn't say one person. Blake would die for. But there are certain people that just when you hear a name, you think sleepover movie. Yeah. And for me, I would put on the top of the list. And from feedback we've gotten from other people, I would say that I'm not the only one. That person is Bruce Campbell. Yeah. And and what we're doing now at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers is we're we're revisiting uh, podcasts we did at our sister site, podwits.com, where Blake and I would do a sidecast where we would talk about everything under the sun from uh, movie genres to music to movies to particular people and... Uh, we were celebrating the career of um, Bruce, Bruce Campbell. Campbell. Uh, you know, I think if you listen to this, you'll hear you'll hear a man with a, a little bit of a man crush. Yeah, talking Bruce about somebody. And the, that uh, would be me. <laughs> what is it? The, the forgotten Shemp? <coughs> the lost Shemp? Oh, the lost Shemp. Yeah. Yeah, and this this we recorded on uh, July 2014. Came out July 2014. For some reason, we decided that we were going to dedicate an entire cast. To Bruce Campbell. And we, we get, it's pretty beefy, and we left a bunch of stuff out as well. Yeah, I would say the one nugget that I would like to update, it's not even an update, it's kind of a correction. Yeah. At the end of that cast, you'll hear us like run down our favorite or the best five Bruce Campbell movies. And somehow, even though we discussed the movie Mind Warp, that, that movie got left off of that list. Wow. Even though Mind Warp is one of our earliest sleepover uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Yeah, and we forgot it on that list, too. And we talk about, I think, it was this right when uh, the Evil Dead got greenlit? Uh, the TV no, show? I don't even think there was talk. At that point, there was just talk of Raimi was interested in doing... Which uh, is now premiering. As so of this. now, since then, we've had the outrageous news of Ash versus the Evil Dead premiering on Stars in October of 2015, yeah. a little over a year from when this cast premiered. <coughs> and that it's fun, too, because we also have nuggets of you interviewed Campbell, too, and we talk about that in this cast, too, yeah, personally. Yeah, I've had a nice conversation with Campbell. We talk a little bit about that, and that's where I talk to him a little bit about the prospects of doing another Evil Dead. Yeah. So you see everything. Uh, you know, we talk, all about, we talk a lot about that. And now, right now, there is, like, the fruition of, you know, sleepover movie gold. We yeah. have a, a, There's going to be, like, a weekly half-hour Evil Dead TV That's crazy. show. Who would have thunk it? And it's it's so funny to see two. I, ha- I haven't been more excited for a television <laughs> since sliced bread came out. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and just to think of two, to, 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 we go back a year ago to two kids who were so excited about Bruce Campbell and, and what could be coming out, and look a year later what's coming into fruition. So, please enjoy us uh, talking all things Bruce Campbell in this great sidecast from 2014. Before we even knew that there was going to be a TV show. Or Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Or even a Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Yeah, so please enjoy this continuing series of us revisiting the sidecast and have a good time with Mr. Bruce Campbell. AM331. The station you're too embarrassed to tell your friends you listen to.
we're back again for, for another episode of the Sidecast. I can't remember the last time we did a Sidecast. It's been it's been years. I know what what, what was, was the, the oh maybe Batman? Was our last bat was our last Sidecast the Batman? Yeah, it was a special. Was. We, we we put it out as a regular podcast, but yeah, we did a two parter Batman. Um, Which actually cast. wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. But that But I long think ago. there was a big break between that. And then it wasn't and released as a sidecast. It was released as a regular podcast, like a special edition. So um, I can't think of <laughs> the special the special edition. side the special sidecast edition of the Podwitz podcast. So I'm Dion Bay uh, Dion Baya here with uh, Dr. Jay Blake. Happy to be here once again. Uh, we're here to talk about um, a very this. I guess this is again every episode we do is a special episode. This is a very, it's very special <laughs> episode. It's like Blossom in the last yeah. season. Well, she had a, every she had a, a series every episode. episode. Well, you know what it was. It was it, <laughs> <laughs> like I like how you know you know about this as well. Like you just realize starting the sentence, you're like shit. I'm admitting a lot here, right? Well, I just I just remember. This and like her last season or two seasons, it seemed like my recollection was you just that like every commercial <laughs> you would watch it be like on oh, a very special blossom, and then later you find out, and it's very sad, but you found out that those episodes were directed by Bill Bigsby. Oh, he yeah, was the, he was the director for like the last season or two of Blossom, and he was dying. Seriously? Yeah, it was. When he, he was directing episodes of Blossom. Yeah, and, but he, and it was like when he had cancer and he was like basically dying. Everybody's like he shouldn't even be working, but he was. He was like, I would rather be yeah, working. Work, yeah. So like when it was, you know, they would sometimes stop so he could take a break and like lay and like sit down and lay down for a bit, and then he'd come back to the set. And Blossom, so it was huh? like as as the Bix. God bless. Did you ever watch that magic show of his? Remember that show he had no, prior to I only prior remember to it at Midtown. Yeah, so same with me. I see it because I don't know. Maybe it was there because it never got an official release. Yeah, but it's uh, it looked but pretty cool. I grew up watching a shitload of uh, rerun television, and I'm sure we've talked about it before, and we might talk about it more in the future. I'm sure. But one of the things I watched was um, my favorite Martian. He was on my favorite Martian. What is it? That's the name of it, right? Yeah, with um, what's his face, right? Yeah. yeah, it was Bigsby was the young guy, oh, and then the other guy, yeah, the Martian. Face. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but the guy's in everything. I want to say Hume Chrome. That's not that's not his, that's not the guy. Anyway. But um, well, God bless Bill Bixby. Bix, who would have known? Now we're gonna have to go back and watch episodes of Blossom to, to check his career out. Uh, oh, Bix. So well, we're not here to talk about Bill Bixby. But that could be a very. <laughs> That could be another topic for another sidecast. <laughs> we probably could easily talk for at about least a half hour. The Bix and, then, and then, well, that could be an interesting um, po- uh, podcast. Uh, Marvel then versus now. You know, well, we could do Hulk. Yeah, you know, Hulk and like the Spider-Man show, and then even this, the weird Spider-Man show you discovered. The, uh, the, the oh, the Japanese the Japanese one. Spider-Man yeah. show, which just looks like they're just it's paying like some Power Rangers. It's Power Rangers, yeah. but with Spider-Man. It's fucking awesome. Uh, but then he, but yeah, but then it's also like Voltron too. They turn into. Like well, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's like he has his own, and it's not like a giant spider. It's like he, there's a giant panther thing that turns into a a, a yeah. robot, and then he fights giant monsters, and he's got like a car or a, or a, or a, a motorcycle, and like it's you just they just throw Peter Parker's like origins right out the window. He's like, is he? Reporting? He's like, <laughs> no, I think he's like a he's like a. a, a Dirt bike racer or something nice. that was popular back then. And he, uh, oh, how's finds... he fund everything? <laughs> <laughs> and he finds a uh, there's this alien that like crashes, 
and he goes and there's a there's an evil alien and they're trying to kill the good alien from like the planet spider yeah. and it's like this old guy and he like bestows him with the, the power sound, of spider sounds Spider-Man. like very green lanternish like you know they pass the <laughs> you, know, you know you know what it is kind of green lantern yeah you were the one chosen on your planet to find it or whatever uh I don't think a lot of people know about that that's that series the Japanese, the Japanese one Spider-Man it's pretty show. intense and is it do you know uh, what the time frame is is it post our the failed American Spider-Man it, show? You know, if I had to guess just by looking at the film stock, it's around the same time. It's got to be late 70s. It's amazing. Although you can't tell with some foreign stuff. It looks like... like this, oh, this was from like the mid-80s. Like, no, this came out last year, man. Yeah. What the hell is going on? <laughs> and uh, Marvel was doing some weird stuff. We even recorded something that'll be coming out soon for a new uh, venture uh, Jay, Blake, and I are doing. Uh, we talked about The Punisher and uh, even the 1987s uh, Dolph Lundgren uh, film and uh, Marvel was doing some weird stuff back then but uh, that is either here nor there because we're not even here to talk about we're not here to talk about Bill Bigsby Spider-Man or Marvel or, yeah. <laughs> we're, talk, we're here to talk about some, but, but then there is a relation there because of this person but we're, uh, we're here to talk about an actor who is uh, uh, near dear to both our hearts uh, I, Jay Blake is he your favorite um Actor, my favorite actor. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know I, where your affinity begins for him. I think he's up there. Sure, okay. you know, if we're gonna, we should probably name him first. <laughs> we, are, of course, are talking about the uh, the awesome uh, uh, man that is Bruce Campbell, the mighty Bruce Campbell. Uh, who hail to the king? Baby. You, you've met and you've you've spoken with, you've interviewed. I've I met him. And then get into a fist fight with him. <laughs> we arm wrestled. Uh, no, I met him years ago, over a decade ago, at a book signing. Um, but then prior to that, weren't you in contact with him? Because for a little while, you were trying to get him to come do a colloquium at our school, our college. There was a time where his website, you could email him, yeah. and he would get back to you. And so there was a time there where we, I wouldn't say we were like pen pals, but we exchanged a bunch of emails. And then. Last year, it was like Evil Dead was come. The, the remake was coming out on Blu-ray, and they had and Scream Factory had just released, or Shout Factory had just released a Blu-ray special edition of Crime Wave, which is Sam Raimi's second film. Yeah, uh, Burn Notice was coming to an end. The series that he was on, and this it seemed like there was a lot going on with Bruce Campbell. So I shot him an email and I said, uh, using that old address, and he was like, "Hey, yeah." I was like, <laughs> "Blake, how are you?" He didn't have an he didn't have an email address on his website anymore. You could contact like his manager or something, and there was a way to contact him, but it seemed like that wasn't going anywhere. So I said, "You know what? I still have the, his old email address. Let me try that." And he got back to me and. Uh, I was like, hey man, we, you, we, you, you know, there's a lot of shit going on. I would love to talk to you about it and interview, interview you for something. And he was like, sure. And uh, he shot me his cell phone number. We exchanged a bunch of texts moving up to it. And then we, uh, we talked on the phone. He was like, I can give you like 25 minutes. And then we talked for about 50 minutes. Wow. And uh, the reason why I didn't stop it at 25 is because we were rolling and he seemed like he was into it. So. Yeah, he didn't feel like you were taking too And much then even time. at the end, it wasn't like he was like, all right, I got to go. He was, we were still talking and I was like, you know what, I feel like I took enough of your time. <laughs> you know, when I interview people, I try to respect their time and not, and not go. Hang them on. Just yeah. one more question, please. 
Uh, and uh, I mean, and I think they appreciate that. And we posted uh, the majority of that here at Powerwits.com, and other half went to a Screen Factory. Maybe? Went to uh, DreadCentral.com. So. Um, I thought it was so long. I mean, the interview itself, because it was for like almost an hour. It was such a long interview, and it was pretty dense. And um, I figured it would be better to maybe split it up, and that way, I was hoping that. Dread Central has been around a little bit longer, has a little bit of a bigger readership, and might be able to drive. And it was also focused as well because you 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 gave them the Evil Dead related. He, stuff. They talked on there was the Evil Dead, and then uh, on Podwitz it was more about Crime Wave and Cruising. Burn Notice. And but I think that's why he really enjoyed the interview is because what people don't really think about they they think of Bruce Campbell as as the actor kind of always playing like a cocky part and. Um, and he is an actor. I mean, that's probably first and foremost his his, his uh, you know occupation. But he was one of the producers of the first two Evil Dead films. He produced Crime Wave. Um, so he has a career as a producer that I think a lot of people don't really think about. And at the time, Evil Dead, he produced the remake with Raimi and Tapert. And well, he was um, he he had a lot of close. It wasn't just like they put his name down. He actually no, I mean, went very he, integral into the rewrite process and the adaptation. Was, and I mean, he was a part of it, and he was in post-production. It turns out he really likes post-production, and like that's where he, he has a good, really good time in sound. He likes to work in sound and, and post-production. So he was a big part of, with the remake, he was a big part of the casting yeah. because he's an actor. And he had a lot to do with every aspect of it, but he kind of, by the time it got into post uh, Raimi, I think, was making the Oz movie. Yeah. And so um, they shot it in New Zealand, and so Robert Tapert is like the New Zealand guy now because of Hercules and Xena and stuff, and he's married to Xena or was. I think he still is. And um, So he kind of took care of the production part of it, and then Camel was kind of in charge of the post-production part of it. Um, so I wanted to... I think that's why he was willing to... He was interested in talking about that stuff, and I think that's why... It was such a great conversation. Well, you had a good interview to take him on. You went towards the production. Yeah, because I probably talked to him about shit that nobody's ever asked him about. Yeah. I mean, he's he's had so many interviews over the years, and um, even getting ready to talk to him, I, I was emailing people that we, you and I went to school with, people that I, I would know would be interested in reading. And I was like, what do you think I should talk about and stuff? And and it was kind of brought to my attention. And when I thought about it, I kind of realized that it's like he does have a bunch of stock answers because he's asked the same questions over and over again. So it was uh, important to me to kind of cover different ground. And really, I was more interested in talking to him about what a producer is. And he, you know, we talked about what the job is and what he did. And that we talked a lot about Crime Wave, which is the kookiest movie I still have never Every, seen it. It is zany. Is it's it like only, Running Time or other no, Bruce Campbell well, no, favorite? Well, it's a completely different kind of movie. I mean, it's the best way to describe. Uh, is that prior? It's crime post. Wave. It's it's after the first Evil Dead. It's the second movie. Yeah. They so they did. did they did Evil Dead together. Yeah. Not counting their shorts, and then they then they did. Crime then they wave. did Crime Wave, like eighty two or eighty three something. Like yeah, that. it's like early eighties, and then it wasn't for a couple more years. Not they didn't make until they made Evil Dead two. Yeah. Um, I mean, you see Evil Dead 2 and then Army of Darkness goes in kind of like a more cartoonish, zany. That all starts with Crime Wave. Crime Wave is as close as you can get to like a live-action cartoon. 
Is it with the intention of that? You think? Yeah, it's like you're watching like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, but it, it's the live people. Now, is <laughs> the it jokes and the is set it, pieces are really crazy? Is it a good movie in a sense where, um, you know, is, do you appreciate it for what it is, or do you think that it has a, a cult following because of it just being a Campbell Ramey movie? Or well, it's Campbell Ramey. And it's co-written by the Coen brothers. Yeah, because they have a kind of a pairing with Campbell, because Campbell shows up a lot in their movies. Yeah, uh, Ethan Coen was the assistant editor on Evil Dead. And um, so so Raimi became friendly with him while they were making Evil Dead. And they helped, Campbell and Raimi helped the, the Coen brothers make like kind of a pitch short. Uh, they made a movie trailer for, a fake movie trailer for Blood Simple. Great movie. Because they had heard Raimi and Campbell's story about making Within the Woods as a short film to kind of gain funding to make Evil Dead. So they decided they would make a short film based on Blood Simple, but what they did is they made a movie trailer for Blood Simple. And Campbell is in it, not in a huge part, but he's in it. And they helped them make that. And so that they just started a friendship there. And then so the Coen brothers helped Raimi write Crime Wave. I'm sure it does have a cult following. Uh, I feel like everybody who is even partially interested in Sam Raimi, the Coen brothers and Bruce Campbell, everybody need, needs to see it at least once. What I say what is a good movie, I probably not. I mean, I'm sure it has its fans. It's, I would just say, like, be prepared to get silly. I mean, and Campbell talks about... Um, the best pre, the best screening they ever had for the movie was it played at a film festival because it was like, it only played in a couple of theaters. I mean, the studio hated it, and, but it played at a film festival. And he said the best screening they ever had was it played at this film festival. And the guy who was like curating the film festival introduces like everybody needs to put their silly hats on, and introduced it as like be prepared that this is a wacky movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and because everybody was braced for it. He said everybody had a really good time and they laughed and, but I think with when you're not expecting that and, and that hits you, it's like what the fuck. And a name like Crime Wave, you think you're going in there and seeing like some film noir or something. Yeah. So uh, we talked about that, but I would say I've now interviewed lots. Not I've, I've interviewed my fair share of people. So a lot of musicians I've interviewed, a few film related people, and I've been interviewing a lot of music related film people lately but I would say the Bruce Campbell interview is within definitely top five top three interviews of your favorite of my favorites and the ones that I think were the best yeah you know sometimes you get a good rapport with somebody and it is much more of like a conversation you know when I interviewed Steve Cropper the you know legendary rhythm guitar player for you know Booker T and the MGs and and uh, all that stuff that was an instant. It was just some people you have an instant rapport with. And it was like, it was, when I interviewed him, it was like we had been friends forever. It was really weird. And then uh, Campbell was very similar. He was, he's very out, he's outgoing. And I think he was, you know, interested in the interview when he, you know, as it went on, he, he there was stuff he, I think he was interested in talking about that he doesn't, he didn't get to talk about a lot. Um, so, and it was a good dude. I mean, to sit on the phone with. Some stranger, guy you never and you're met. just 
to give you 25 minutes, say I'll give you 25 minutes and talk easy 45, 50 without even like flinching. It's like, know? do you think we can hang out maybe some, when, you, when you ever um, go to New York? I think or? he was, at the time he was in Miami shooting the rest of Burn Notice when we did that. Um, but my introduction to him... Yeah, I was going to say, because I can't, I, in preparation for this cast... I was trying to figure out how the heck do I, how, because for me, it always seems like I've always known who he is. Well, you, I would imagine that your introduction to Bruce Campbell is the same as mine, which was the Bruce adventures Campbell? of Bruce Campbell yeah. Jr. I think it, it must have been that, but then, you know, I didn't, I don't think I saw the Evil Deads until college, and then I've, I knew him in Dark Man, and then I recognized him because he's in Maniac Cop, he's in the beginning of Maniac Cop 2. Yeah. And he, he, he's in all those little parts. So it's like, I think I, seeing him in Briscoe and then you, you have a name to the face yeah. and then you see him in everything else. That's so, the thing. Everything up until college that had, I had seen him in, it would be like, oh, it's Briscoe. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. You kind of, I remember uh, he, when Briscoe was on, he did an interview on live with Regis and Kathy Lee. And uh, this was like in the summer. And... Um, you know, my mom would like go to work and she would wake me up to tell her she was leaving and often I would just get up and just be up looking for the day uh, in the summer when you're not in school. And um, and I didn't have cable, so I would just watch. I had like four channels, you know, so whatever was like that or there was like the Today Show, <laughs> you know, and there was like Woody, you Wood, your coffee, you Woody, 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 Woody Woodbecker cartoons like on the Fox affiliate. And then, uh, you know, other than that, and then you'd have, like, Zoobly Zoo on fucking PBS at that time, some shit like yeah. that. But so I would often watch, like, Regis and Kathy Lee and stuff like that. And I remember he was on, and he was talking about how he got the interview and he, uh, and how he got the, the role in the audition. There was, like, a fight scene. He didn't really know what to do, so he did what he does in Evil Dead 2, which is he does, like, a standing backflip. Yeah, he flips himself over. Um and so he did it on that show, and for that it was like always emblazed in my mind. Oh, so he actually did it for yeah. Regis, and yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It's a very much of a, a pratfall. And me being, I always fashion myself as a physical kind of guy. I tried to, I don't even know how to begin to try to do that without hurting yourself because he's actually, it's certainly in Evil Dead too. He's fighting his hand in this scene, so he he, it's he grabs himself and he almost flips himself head head first over and then like yeah. lands on his butt like very like a Buster yeah. Keaton like a burlesque yeah. uh, vaudeville kind of a thing and I guess maybe it's a stock pratfall but it seems ve- it seems great like wow but then when you try to do it it's very dangerous if you do yeah, it wrong yeah. so to see him just do it you know like oh you want me to do that you know it's like you know it's like someone doing a split for you it's like wow, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure nowadays his back is probably uh, wishing that he didn't do so many of them but uh so Briscoe was my frame of reference for him, and then he was like, I would see him on Ellen. He had Ellen had a oh yeah, she had her succumb in there. He was the on 90s, that, yeah. So you'd see him pop up a lot, and then he he started. I'd see him too, which I think is prior mid nineties for us. Is he he didn't he show up on Hercules and Xena? He started yeah. Well, he became well, that was produced by Ramey and Tabert. So he started. Um, I think he started directing episodes of that of Hercules, and then he uh, started. He played the. The part of uh, Italicus, I think, is his role, uh, yeah. which is like the King of Thieves or something like that. And uh, so he was kind of a regular on those shows. He had that soul playing patch. a very <laughs> with a mustache and a soul patch. Yeah, he was playing a very Ash in Army of Darkness type of character, which seems to be what he gets cast as most. 
it's, it's interesting to think of how versatile he is, but then at the same time, he's like a like a classic Hollywood actor, like say Eastwood, Steve McQueen, John Wayne, where they're not really that versatile. Like I can't think of any aside from Bubba Hotap, I can't think of a movie where he actually has like a fake accent. So yeah, he's yeah. versatile in the sense of what he does. Like you see him everywhere, but he's just being Bruce. He's being you know himself, you know, yeah. in the movie. But it works. But it it's not to detract. You know, he's yeah, great. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, I feel like you, you know, I think. We picture that. I mean, we the evolution of the character of Ash. I mean, it's is a weird one because of the budgets and they're spread out over a decade. It's uh, very serious at first too. Yeah. The first Evil Dead. By the time you get to two, two's like putting your foot in the arena of the it dark. It's getting like the Three Stooges. Their their love of the Three Stooges starts to come out in a very morbid, dark kind of way. Um, and I mean, I will say that like, you know. Anybody who's got a, a, an issue and thinks Bruce Campbell is not great or whatever, I mean, it doesn't doesn't really matter. But I will say, when you watch Evil Dead 2, the majority of that movie is him by himself. Yeah, acting to nothing. No, just the <laughs> animatronics. Or... And I will say that there are very few actors, if any, that I think could hold your attention and pull that off. For that, an hour In a, a way that he does it. Yeah. Um, He's, I think he's really likable. He's obviously very charming. Um, and I, just, I think he's got a talent that... He's got, a, he's got talents as an actor that I don't think a lot of people have. And I don't think too many people could have pulled off what he's able to do and make Evil Dead 2 as engaging as it kind of is. Um, but there's a point, you know, when we were in college, and that's when I kind of really started to kind of fall in love with him and his work. Um, he had done an episode of, like, The X-Files. Yeah. And it's a totally different kind of part. Um, it's 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 a dramatic, and he's not that character. And I remember watching that, but like, holy shit, like, he can really... Act. <laughs> well, I remember as well, prior to us going to college, he's in the beginning of Congo. You know, you see him there. He, sh- he shows up in the in the weirdest places because, because of his friendship with the Raimis. It, isn't he in or almost in every one of their movies that they've done? I mean, he's not he, in Quick and the Dead because his scenes were cut, but he was a stand-in a well, lot on the was, sets. He uh, was in Quick and the Dead. He, he came to visit. Sam Raimi and Raimi saw him and he's like put him in wardrobe and whatever and that's how um, that's how it has to be done <laughs> and what happened was you'll know the guy's name he plays the bartender in Quick of the Dead he plays Commissioner Gordon in Pat Batman Hingle. yeah yeah uh, he has a that that guy has a, his character has a daughter and she's kind of like a young girl and she's like prostituted or whatever and um, so Pat Hingle has a, had a real problem with the fact. That, like I really feel like I would do something. You mean in, re- in real life? His, yeah, his, as his an character. Actor, yeah. As an actor, he had a problem with that. Like he's just letting it happen and whatever. And so basically, Raimi just l- gave him Campbell to like this guy is going to say something, and that's where you're going to take all your aggressions. So Pat Hingle just like beat the shit out of Bruce Campbell for like five takes. And I don't even think I don't even know if I don't even think they rolled film on it. It was really just for an exercise for for, Pat for, for, for Raimi to kind of satisfy an actor so that they can move on. It's interesting. I mean, he gets credited as, you know, a fake ship or something in the in the movie, which is a slang that they came up with in their uh, in their Super 8 days because you could always... They love the Three Stooges and 
uh, and Shemp had like a stroke or something. Yeah, the rumor I've always heard is that he died in the back seat of a car in the middle of a joke. So I don't know, you know, but he he was the original. But the way they would shoot those films, and any real Bruce Campbell fan probably knows all these stories, but uh, the way they would shoot the Three Stooges films, they shoot like three or four of them at a time so that they could maximize locations and stuff. And so he died before some of them were finished. So there's like a fake, there's another actor kind oh. of like not facing the camera <laughs> whose hair isn't quite like Shemp and he, you can tell he's not Shemp he's the fake Shemp yeah. so uh, in the in the Raimi movies every time there's a character who's like a foot in Evil Dead walking on the plywood floor or whatever who's not Bruce Campbell or who's not the character they're always billed as the fake Shemps like the people that are standing in and so Campbell gets, I think it's a quick a fake Shemp uh uh, credit in Quick and the Dead, but I don't think he was ever really intended to be in it or anything. You know, it's to take an aside because when we ever talking about Pat Hingle, <laughs> uh, God bless him, he just passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, I love him to death. He's a great character actor. I had read that there is a very famous uh, Burt Lancaster movie called Elmer Gantry, where he plays like a like a preacher in the turn of the century, and it's uh, the movie is like fifty eight, fifty nine, nineteen sixty, and I think it really. Uh, uh, it, it was big in Burt Lancaster's career, and he got a, a nomination for it. But at the time, Burt Lancaster was very big anyway. But Pat Hingle was up for the role, and Pat Hingle was cast as Elmore Gantry, but fell down an elevator shaft, like 10 stories, and, and like was, was there for I don't know how long until he was found, was in uh, the hospital for like a year, and then, of course, didn't get the role. They went to Burt Lancaster, and, and then who knows how his, maybe people would know more who Pat Hingle was now, but for the rest of his life, he had a limp, and that's because of that, for, for, for him falling. So it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, you know? <laughs> but, but he shows up, he's in a ton of Eastwood movies. Yeah, he's in a bunch of Eastwood uh, He's in a ton of Steve McQueen's. He's in, uh, he, we know him, our generation knows him as Christian Gordon from um, uh, all the Tim Burton, and I think the Joel Schumacher, he's in the, those two. The, yeah. And, and uh, a, you know, he got kind of labeled as that, like, character. Yeah, he's all over actor. the joint. You know, good guy, bad guy. Uh, he's on a lot of, yeah, like you said, Eastwood Westerns, especially in, in uh, Sin and Impact, which is the fourth Dirty Harry movie. But we love Pat Hingle. But Campbell, uh, as well as he, uh, he's friends with Raimi. They, the, now, the Raimis, they wrote Darkman, right? Raimi wrote and directed Darkman, I think, yeah. And I'm like, he, I know he directed, he did Darkman because he wanted to do The Shadow. And they wouldn't let him, so he's and like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And then he's like, fuck it, I'm going to do my own Shadow. And he did. And you know what, i got to say, before we even talk about it, to this day still, I think, The sh- uh, the Shadow, the um, Darkman, the original movie, has some of the best, and still holds up as the best, uh, ad publicity work I've ever seen. Because I remember, I don't know if you remember those teaser trailers on TV, or just be like, who is Darkman? And just be like him running away from a helicopter in that, that shadow outfit yeah, yeah. With, a, with a guy in a helicopter like shooting bullets, machine guns at him. Like, I don't know who he is, but I'm going to find out. You know, it was great. And it turned out to be a good movie. It's, it's a, it, you, know? you know, I think it's another movie. I think a lot of Raimi's movies, I think you got to go into them with a certain eye. I mean, I feel like I could see how like a lot of people probably wouldn't have liked Darkman. I remember seeing Darkman in the theater and, and being kind of way into it and, um, Does it hold up? I haven't seen it in 20 years. I watched it somewhat recently. And I've never seen any of the sequels because there's like three or four of them with that other guy that gets killed. Yeah, in it. yeah. There's like D- Dr. Giggles, that actor. Yeah, there's a couple of sequels. Uh, what was his name? Jeff Fay, I think, yeah. plays in. And then, then the guy who plays the mummy in the mummy movies, I think he plays Darkman at some point. But uh, 
It, you know, it, it it holds. Sure, it holds up. It's it's a weird. I mean, it's a weird movie, it's and it's nuts. got a very strange tone to it. Um, Scream Factory is just putting out a, a like a big special edition where they actually interview like Liam Neeson. And oh, that's great. Francis McDormand. And, uh, they actually got a lot of people to talk about it. Um, it's one of those things where I already own it, and I, yeah. I don't know if I like that movie enough to double dip. And I'll, as Deanna, no. I will double dip. <laughs> yeah, as a man who owns, aside from the original, you own every release of, the, of John Carpenter's Halloween and Halloween Two. I have, yeah. I have two DVD, two Blu-rays of Halloween Two, but uh, um, you don't know. So I'm, 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 yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. still having. I can't make up my mind whether I want to because now the because the unfortunate thing is you can't even rent the special features I mean no. I, I would not buy it because I need to own Darkman on Blu-ray I already fucking own Darkman on can't, Blu-ray yeah now the Netflix and those companies got wise so it's but the sure, rental copy only but sure I would love to see what Liam Neeson has to say about you know Dark it's interesting when, when actors do do that because a lot of times I, I find it personally pompous but um, I guess I'm not in their, their uh, shoes but you know they do a movie whatever it is and then 10, 15, 20 years later there's a big special edition and then you almost know that that big actor who is now a huge star will not be in it, uh, take part in doing the special features. And yeah. it really impressed me that uh, a couple years ago, I think for the Blu-ray release, they did the Tim Burton Batman, yeah. and they put a whole crap of special features on there, and they got Jack Nicholson now. I was like, I was like, holy crap! That's you know, he's one of the guys who would have thought like, fuck, I'm not gonna talk. But they, they, they sat him down. He's talking for like an hour and a half. Like, is, is that all you want more to talk about more? You know? <laughs> and it's like great. So like, it's impressive when you get you know, say like a Liam Neeson who was in a shit ton of uh, he's in the last we talk about Dirty Harry he's in the last Dirty Harry movie the Deadpool yeah, he's he, had in, a long, uh, he had a slow 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 career where slow he's just, start you're yeah. like he's everything he's under the sun Excalibur yeah that goes, it goes that far back where he's yeah and he's in uh, he's, he's in, in some movie he's in a comedy my wife loves that takes place in England where uh, with what's his face John Hurt where he's a ghost and the ghost keeps coming back. Like they, they're, John you know, Hurt's a ghost, or no? Or John, Liam, Neeson's, Liam a ghost. Neeson's a ghost, and John Hurt owns this like big mansion. And these Americans come over. You know who I think is also in it? Uh, Short Circuit. What's his name? Steve Gutenberg. I think Steve Gutenberg plays the lead in it. And uh, <laughs> this movie really sounds crazy. It's a great. It's a great. It's it's like he inherits a castle, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Cary Grant is in it, and everybody. Uh, and, Ralph Bellamy plays himself. <laughs> Robert De Niro shows up, uh, but it's before he's famous, you know. It's Liam Neeson, so he's he's playing this this ghost, and it's 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 like, oh look, it's fucking Liam Neeson. But um, but anyway, the reason I bring Darkman up wasn't they wanted him to play the lead uh, Campbell, the Liam Neeson role, and, and the studio said no. It, well, it, he, they didn't think he knows? could do a whole I mean, movie on his own. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, he was supposed to play the lead in Crime Wave. And then uh, that's the studio put their foot down on that. So he plays, they bumped up like a secondary character, made a secondary character bigger so Campbell had more of a part. Um, but uh, and Campbell came very close to being in The Phantom. Uh, and uh, Michael... B- Billy Zane. Billy Zane. Billy Zane. Ended up uh, getting the part, but Campbell came very close to getting that part. I don't think that has anything to do with Raimi, but, um, you know, he seems like he's had a... Cable's had a lot of almost <laughs> being the lead in something. And it's funny when you and I were in college and he had, um, 2001, I think, we had just gotten out of college, he had written his first book, If Chins Could Kill, Confessions of a B-Movie Actor, uh, which is fantastic if anybody has not read that or listened to the audiobook. Um, 
they're both great. He reads the audiobook and he did the audiobook some years later, so he gives like little updates to some of the things in the audiobook. Uh, but even the book itself is awesome because there's a lot of pictures and diagrams where he's talking about like some of the camera grigs that they made up for Evil Dead. Like he has illustrations of. Well, they they put it like on a two by four, right? And that's how they get a lot of. There's, a, there's the a lot of them. There's the one, uh, uh, like the shaky cam one, which is on a two by four mounted in the middle of a two by four. Pe- operators on either side, and then they run with it. Um, the Coen Brothers use that in Blood Simple as well. There's the Rammel cam, which is like the camera uh, mounted on the back of a two x four, and then so that there's a two, so that the the two x four extends past the camera. But if you zoom enough, you don't see it in frame, and that's how they go through the car windows and stuff in Evil Dead. Is that they punch through the windows because they just ram this two x four through glass. Wow. Um, and they have like uh, Raimi's original fascination was with magic and, and illusions and stuff. So they use an old magic uh, illusion trick where the actress is in a kind of a makeshift harness, kind of teetered uh, with a huge two by four, but a huge like beam. And so that's how they lift her up and, and almost like so a, she levitates uh, and stuff. Yeah. So he has illustrations that he of all this. All these rigs and stuff, and he has like the formula for the fake blood they used, wow. like written out. <laughs> just throwing anything he can in the in book. There. Lots of awesome photos. So even the 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 book is great. So two thousand one, he comes out with this book. He has a movie come out, uh, which was somewhat of a bigger budget movie. It had um, Matthew Perry and Elizabeth Hurley. It was called uh, Serving Sarah, I think. Um, and he plays a kind of a big part in that. It was kind of a, a sticker and a flop. But there was this time where we had just graduated from college, and um, he had just done evil. He had done X Files, and it just seemed like and he had that show Jack of All Trades had just started. Jack then. of All Trades had just ended, and I think as well as wasn't. Xena and uh, Hercules were still well within syndication, so they were on USA. And it just seemed like it was the time for Campbell. Bubba Hotep came out in 2002. It just seemed like it was the time. It was his time. Because you figured, my, in my, my, the, my logic was that now you're going to have filmmakers and TV producers and stuff that grew up loving the Evil Dead movies, and now they're in a position of power. And so, of course, they're going to fucking cast Bruce Campbell. He's in the, he's in the original Spider-Mans. He's, he's yeah, the, but those know. are Raimi. Movies. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, same time frame. You know, he's but showing up in these cameos. It just seemed like he was going to explode. And, you know, you could argue, like, his longest run, his longest job was Burn Notice. Um, so, in a way, he kind of did. And he had made a couple of movies with Josh Becker for Sci-Fi Channel, which were, unfortunately, not wonderful. Man with the Screaming Brain and, and Alien Apocalypse or, or something like that. And... Um, but, and then it just didn't really happen. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you think of like, for instance, like why the fuck wouldn't Quentin Tarantino put Bruce Campbell in a movie? Yeah, <laughs> you, you know? throw him a bone, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, he's reviving John Travolta's career, which in my opinion was a wasted effort, in my personal opinion. Um, he, Pam Greer. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, like, anybody. here's a guy who never William really Forsyth. had a huge career. Who, I mean... I, I, I just part. feel like there's no way that Quentin Tarantino doesn't love Evil Dead 2. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll get him on the, on the, on the show yeah. and ask him. You know, it's... Uh, so I just feel like... Uh, he, he hasn't still he got needs, his he due. Needs his, he needs his, his big shot. I mean, I think he's kind of embraced 
the his career and the life he he leads as uh, you know he he made a documentary he lives in Oregon now and he made a documentary about some social and political things that were happening there and um, like I said he directed a movie called Man with the Screaming Brain and um, he Dust wrote Till Dawn too he wrote his he does <laughs> well you know from Dust Till Dawn too is there, there is this period where he's and my and the height of my obsession with Bruce Campbell movies. Where I, I've seen more shitty movies that had Bruce Campbell in them for five because minutes. You, because of him. Specifically because he's in it. You know, we saw a, a hell of a movie, which we're going to watch again at some point and talk about on one of these, not this sidecast, but maybe I called Moontrap. Yeah. <laughs> a classic. Oh, Moontrap <laughs> is one of. Before we go anywhere, I want to say the movie that I couldn't think of was High Spirits. And it was not um, John Hurt, it's Peter O'Toole. Pure Tool, Steven Gutenberg, and uh, Daryl Hannah. Hmm. So um, I'll show. Uh, oh, I know, I know this. I know this cover. Yeah, that's 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 the movie he plays. Uh, Liam Neeson plays the ghost in it. Where if I, you've ever seen the people that uh, are of the the video store generation, it the <laughs> the box cover is Gutenberg and Daryl Hannah on like a bed. That's floating, and it's it's one of those beds that has like uh, you know like uh, the corners have like beams, and there's a top to the bed, and then Peter O'Toole sitting on top, like yeah, drinking and, a martini. And he owns the <laughs> castle, and, I, and he, I, it's 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 crazy hygiene. So they're they're gonna lose the castle, so he he gets these American relatives to, to get inherited, and there's ghosts. So it's a it's a great crazy. <laughs> but anyway, that's Liam, Liam Neeson. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, we were gonna talk about uh, Moon Trap is the weirdest movie I've ever seen. I, I went to go look at it when we were going to do this cast, and I thought it was done early. It's 89. It's late, huh? Yeah, I thought it was mid-80s, and it's it's such a weird movie. I'd never heard of it till I stayed over your house, and we're like, let's go to the video store. Hey, look at this Captain thing. Captain Video. Have you... Cohoes, baby. Did you did you see it prior to... <laughs> no, that was the first time. Did you ever even heard of it? it? No, I don't think so. It, and, it's, and I never heard of it either, and it's, it's a weird kind of movie because they're really throwing Walter Koning out there as the lead. He's going to be... This is like after... I'd say Star Trek Four. Star Trek Four did so well. They're like, we got to start using these guys in other roles, and it might be proud of Star Trek Five tanking, but they throw Koenig in there. He's and he's like that. He's an astronaut. He's uh, yeah, and he's a well, ladies' man. There's a moon and, trap, and he's uh, yeah, and then <laughs> well, uh, well, they're both astronauts. Yeah, and, and there's something going on on the moon, and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. And, and you know, the saddest thing about uh, Moon Trap is you know <laughs> years later. This was, you know, we, you and I watched that in uh, 99? 98, 99, yeah. And so that's 10 years before that. And then, uh, so then like five, six, seven years later, they are releasing the Star Trek series in its entirety. Not the new remastered ones, the first... Blue, the original series. The, the first DVD release of the original series and like the big fucking like tricorder <laughs> yeah they're fucking huge hard plastic, plastic different colors um, and then they digitally remastered them that's what you see on TV now but this is like still kind of fucking shitty looking um, he, Walter Koenig Koenig his his Chekhov isn't in the first series first season they introduce him into the second season because the monkeys are really yeah, they want that, that, that <laughs> They wanted a Davy Jones. They wanted, uh, a, David, sorry, David Jones they wanted a Davy Jones character, and at the same time, uh, George Takei was making uh, the Green Berets with John Wayne, and so uh, 
I think that went over schedule. So Sulu could not be in the first couple of episodes that they were shooting um, because of schedule-wise. And so they gave all of Sulu's role uh, lines to Chekhov. And then all of a sudden, Chekhov was a bit of a bigger character. So for season two, Star Trek comes out on DVD. There's a big... The fe- big featurettes are with Walter Koenig because he... That's his, like his season. Yeah. And... Um, interviewing him and um, he collects Chekhov stuff which I you know I, if I had a character and there was a million Why fucking memorabilia yeah. I probably they're making like too. South American toys of you I'd do but it they're too. asking him about like what he's doing what he's up to and he was on like Babylon 5 for a while yeah. and uh, but he's and he's like and you know and I just did a you know just not too long ago I did a movie with Bruce Campbell called Moontrap and then I was on Babylon 5 and he's talking about it like it was just yesterday and it was like, no, dude, that was 15 years ago. That was like at least 15 years ago. Oh. And I always thought that was kind of Was sad. that uh, pre or post him getting rid of his uh, toupee? He still had his toupee. Because he's kind of made a decision after his son sadly committed yeah, yeah. suicide that he, he's like, why well, don't I need to pretend his anymore? son, yeah. Uh, uh, played Boners the Bone on Growing Pains. Yeah, and he's also and in the, that Batman. He plays end. the Joker in that Batman. Dead End um, short, which is interesting. But uh, Moontrap's such a weird movie, but... Campbell has a bunch of these movies because I don't know it's it's and we were involved with a couple of people who who made live uh, or made feature length movies and for a little time there we were trying to get actors that you know because back in the oh, I almost want to say it's like the old days where it's like <laughs> where it's only like you know 10 15 12 years ago uh, when there was still a market for the for the directed DVD, you try to maybe if you're going to make a low budget movie, you want to maybe get somebody in there that people could know yeah, that be yeah. affordable to you. So for us, it was eh, you know maybe getting like uh, Tom Savini, Lance Henriksen, uh, what's his name, Jeffrey Combs, a uh, Bruce Campbell in there. So you'd entertain like okay, maybe I can hire this guy, blow my budget on hiring this guy, shoot with him for like a day or two, yeah. and then you can intersperse him throughout the movie, even though it's the same. He's behind the same desk, <laughs> never yeah, yeah. seen. But that would be the the logic, and then he his faces on the cover of the movie and bang and I think that's basically the formula of what happens today where you have like you know uh, fucking you know Morgan Freeman in a movie that's draped to DVD and then it's it's just he's in one scene or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so we were looking for a short period of time of, of, of using them and you know, how much their fee was versus how you get them out there it seemed like at the time it seemed like $11,000 a day was the you know so I wonder for shoot was, was, the, was the going rate at that time because I had contacted uh, I was producing a feature uh, a little bit after that, and I had contacted Michael Ironside. Nice. I had contacted Tom Savini. Tom Savini almost did it. Uh, God bless Tom Savini. Um, Campbell. Who, another person we both met and have zany stories about for another podcast. Uh, but, you know, so my, the point of me bringing all this up is that there there is a certain type of actor who will... Do stuff if parts come about, and I, some people are just actors. Man. That's and what I'm going to say. You, I, I don't think like one of my favorite actors, who's who's the patron saint of this uh, website, Ernest Borgnine, do the same thing. He says, "I take anything I was offered because I had a deep down fear." He would say that I, you know, that if I turned down a role, then I wouldn't get a role offered again. So you know, and you, you know, where who, and I, I kind of believe that. I subscribe to that philosophy. Why are you going to, if you know, you want me to? Sure, I'll do it. You're going to pay me, and I'm going to. Vincent Price used to say that he'd get all these vacations a year, him and his wife, because he'd just you'd be you yeah, know, yeah. flown out to a location to do a movie. So fuck it, I'll yeah. do them. Campbell says that's one of the reasons why he did Congo 
yeah, you know, you get to go wherever the hell they're shooting and shit like that. So I don't, I, I completely don't understand why people say, oh, well, you know, these people are doing shitty. Oh, fuck it, who cares? I mean, paycheck's check the paycheck. Check, yeah. I mean, not everybody can get like twelve million dollars, fifteen no. million dollars a movie. I mean, you know, the fact that I mean, here's the thing. I mean, who knows what Bruce Campbell's how he envisioned his career would go? Who knows? Um, and sure, I mean, maybe he, I'm sure he was hoping it would go a different way and that he would be a leading man or, or whatever it is. But the fact that, and you know, and in a way it is, it's kind of sad because he has this huge following and he definitely is a name that you could put, back, back then anyway, when there was like, you walk into a video store and you see like Minnow's Mind, you're like, oh, like Billy Campbell and Bruce Campbell. And they're related, aren't they? <laughs> I don't think so. Michael Dorn, I don't fucking see that movie. <laughs> and then Campbell's in it for like two seconds. But uh, Bruce Campbell's in it for like two Not seconds. Not Billy. Billy's in it the whole time. But, uh, you know, so there was, uh, so, I mean, but at the same time... He was doing the Old Spice commercials for a period of time, remember? In, he in had it? a gig doing the Old Spice But do you think commercial? he's... Did this bird notice, which was on USA? Was it on USA? It was USA? on USA. Did, and, they made a, that, and they made a movie that was based on his character around, uh, you know, before it ended. Which was what? TV movie? Yeah, yeah. TV well, do you movie. think... Did he get... Did that blow him up in a certain respect? Is, are there people now who... Because I, I know that... I never watched Bird Notice, but I know people who did and liked the show, and it lasted how... Uh, Quite a bit, like eight years or something. So like that. it wasn't like it was a. a it flop. was his longest series. Yeah. You know? So I mean, do you think that kind of elevated people's minds to him, or do you think he still kind of is the uh, you know the niche? You got to know who he is and know who he is. I don't. I, I can't. I don't know. How, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like his biggest success is big. He's he'll always be known as Ash. Um, I think that will always be his biggest fan base. Burn Notice was a big show. I tried to watch it, man. I, I gave it my go. Like I, like I tried to. I give everything that Campbell's in a go. I know you, do. <laughs> you try, you, and you're, you're the one who even when, it, when it's bad, you'll keep going. You know. And I gave most of the first season a shot, and it was like it was literally, and uh, it was literally he was the only thing that was worthwhile in it for me. Yeah. You know, I didn't care for the yeah. show. I thought he was good in it, um, but that's you know it goes back to kind of what we were talking about. Earlier, I mean, I, I don't know if versatility is the word. I mean, that, that was like kind of the, how you were describing it. But I, he's solid, man. Yeah. I mean, it was like when you, there's some guys when you watch a movie, you just know that at the very least, you're gonna get a certain. You're gonna get. You watch Bruce Campbell movie, you're getting something mm-hmm. that's worth. Yeah. At least he's good in it. Yeah. You know, at least he'll give you something <laughs> that uh, you know because uh, that freaking second. Uh, from Dust Till Dawn movie, in my opinion, was god awful. Yeah. For what I, we, we, that was well, he the time <laughs> that time when you were out, when you were into him, anything that came out, you'd get. So I'd be the guy, I'd be the fucking second shoe. So I'd watch it with you, and, and, uh, and he was only in the beginning, right? He's only in, with Tiffany Amber Thiessen yeah, in the right. very first scene. Of and the they, movie. they're killed like they're 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 killed in, in an elevator. Yeah, an elevator, right? Spoilers. In the hallways and spoiler. <laughs> spoiler that but the thing that you know, it wasn't even that the movie, and, and since then they've had. Two or three sequels. There's a couple, and there's not a TV show. There's a, is it a Spanish TV show? It's like a reinvention. No, no, no. it's not in Spanish. It, uh, Robert Rodriguez started a channel called El Rey, which would be why you would think it would be Spanish. But uh, it was like on you know Fox Mundo, or, you know so Mundo <laughs> no, Fox. It, he invented his own channel, which is a pretty fucking awesome channel. Well, you know what? If you if you <laughs> don't have it, like. that's a, that's another thing to talk about. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, who people don't know him, that some of the career choices he's done, which are absolutely brilliant, and yeah, people don't yeah. even realize, but. 
That's either um, nor there. Um, but uh, so uh, so yeah, Progressathon that he did a series where it's actually follows the movie. I think it's just recast. Yeah, which is recently. Yeah, it in started like last year or two, a few few months. Uh, ago, but that sorry. second movie, it seemed like it had so much promise. But whoever directed that, there was just so it was a many trick shot movie. Yeah, unneeded, unneeded, and it's like. We're, we're only in the second scene and it's like every trick shot he can figure yeah. out like, it's like through the t- mouth of a vampire with the fangs in front yeah. you know over a ceiling fan with the fan going underneath it or, or like uh, two of the ones that stuck with me to this day are they play a scene where the lead guy walks into a sheriff's office and for some obnoxious reason they mounted the camera on an ice oscillating fan so oh, the yeah, whole yeah. scene is played by your, <laughs> the oscillating fan in this hot, and you're like, ah, they're back in frame, they're out of frame. They're back in frame, they're out of frame. And you listen to the dialogue, or the dog bowl. Dog goes oh, to, yeah, yeah. to get a, some water, and it's like the POV of looking up into the dog bowl. And the dog, it's like, what? Just because I can doesn't mean you need to. But, uh, uh, but that, that movie... Uh, so he's in the first couple of months. There's a million movies where he's in the first yeah, couple of months. Yeah, you don't even... Or know. whatever. Um, but he's you know he's one of those guys and he's got a fan base and it's funny he's he's in the if you read his book many of the chapters if not all of them open with an email that he got sent and it's a, a genuine email and he didn't even like correct the grammar or anything it's f- f- copied and pasted an email that he got from a fan quote unquote fan and it's one of the things I find interesting about him and his career also is like there's so many people that like bust his balls like these are not nice emails that are from quote unquote fans <laughs> yeah they're like I saw you in fucking X-Files or whatever I saw you in this and who fuck knew you could actually act oh, kind of shit or <laughs> you know or, I mean there are nice emails too but uh, a lot of them he has a weird uh, relationship with his fan base and I'm sure he's not the only one, but he's the only one I can kind of think of off the top of my head. Where it is like his fans feel like they can be assholes to him. They're like a little antagonistic with him. Yeah, like. and they think they're I mean, maybe it's because he he is so personable, and like you kind of almost feel like you're chummy with them, even though you don't really know. So you him. can automatically critique. You know, <laughs> so why you can, in these freaking so shitty movies? So you could be a fucking asshole to him or something. I hate that. Um, he's kind of you know he's kind of grown into like the elder statesman now of. You know the genre movie. I mean, when he goes to festivals now, he often will host something. And he, when he goes to like car conventions and stuff now, he dresses up in like a in like a suit. I've seen it, and he's got like an ascot on, <laughs> or he'll wear like a white jacket with a tuxedo, you know, or like a red. Bruce Campbell fucking deserves to do whatever the fuck he wants. I know. I think know? it's he's like he's emb- coming to his own. He's embodied like this persona. Like he um, married. Like he he officiated like a zombie wedding wow. for fans, and does that mean he had to actually then get a uh, to marry somebody? You have to get um... yeah. I don't know if they. I don't know if he actually had to do that, <laughs> or if they really... actually got married later. And by, that was by just like a symbolic a, yeah, yeah. thing. Um, and there are a ton of people he frequently now like judges and presents like Bruce Campbell, Evil Dead, like tattoo contests because oh, there are shit. so many people that have Bruce Campbell's face. Permanently tattooed onto their flesh. That's funny. Um, so he's kind of—I think he's kind of embraced what his role in the like the in the genre film community is, and he and he he kind of has become, like I said, like kind of an elder statesman of it, and, and he tries to treat it very classy, even though some of the times it's like a bright wet red jacket. You know, the suit he's wearing is kind of really flashy, but he's also, I think, kind of embraced that 
loudmouth braggart, you know, Ash, uh, Italicus, part two. And he kind of realizes that that's what people associate him with. And he's kind of decided, like, if that's what they want, like, that's what I'm going to give them. Yeah, more um, power to him. But, uh, but, you know, in my mind, and he's always going to be fucking Prisco County, man. No, well, let's see, before we get to the, I think the two big things a lot of fans may tune in because of this podcast to talk briefly about. Are there any other films you can think of from his filmography that highlights you want to bring up? I mean, we brought Moontrap up because we have such an affinity for it. Uh, uh, running Time, certainly at the time, to, was We should great. talk about Running Time, because that is... Uh, for the time, the technical achievement they did. I don't, I don't remember the movie being amazing. It is a good movie. It's worth seeing, certainly. They sh- I think it was shot on 16. It shot Super on 16, 16. Black and white, right? In black and white because of color temperature. Um, nowadays, it's you know, I was thinking about it because I actually, I've been, I almost watched it yesterday. Yeah. Um, and as Dion knows, I, I frequently listen to film commentaries. I rip them to MP3 and I'll listen to like a DVD commentary. And um, he does a commentary with that with Josh Becker, who's another Michigan. They went to high school in the Ramey and stuff. I didn't end up listening to the commentary yet because it's really been so long since I watched the movie. Then I was like, you know, what? I want to watch the movie before I listen to the commentary. So I have yet to do it, but I was—I almost watched the movie, and they got a very short run Blu-ray release from Anchor Bay. Yeah, God I mean, not Blu-ray, Bay. DVD back in the day. And our original, how we originally saw it was, I bought the fucking VHS cassette from Josh Becker off his website because it didn't have. And at the time, I I ripped that off. You ripped it. I copied that off <laughs> of you and gave it to the the local video store from Connecticut that I, the, the best video, which is still God bless them, they're still going, and they had everything hard to get for Yale and all the other colleges up there. And I gave them their first copy of of, of Running Time, which you know now nobody. But, cares about so think circa 99 98 99 yeah right before the digital i think you know explosion of digital technology yeah yeah josh becker uh like i said he 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 uh directed shitloads of uh hercules and, and xena and stuff but he had done some movies um he might have done thou shalt not kill except um, i know Raimi has something to do with that movie but he was he's a low he's a like a low budget film guy he did made all those super eight movies with Ramey and Campbell uh, in their high school days and he crewed on Evil Dead and yada 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 so he decides he wants to and he also has I should plug he's got a great book about low budget filmmaking so if you're interested in making low budget films he has a really interesting book about it forward by Bruce Campbell nice <laughs> another reason why you probably went to it <laughs> um and he, he talks about everything from the screenwriting to po- pre-production, post-production, the legalities of it. It's a great like Bible for low-budget filmmaking. So it's highly recommended for anybody out there. But um, he comes up with this idea so he, for a movie. So he decides. I think he was watching Rope. Yeah. Well, the, well the, the, the concept of uh, for for the non-film nerds out there, Rope is a Hitchcock movie where Hitchcock decided he was going to do. Attempt to make the whole movie in like a single take, almost like a play, I guess, yeah. or something, where it all plays out without any, where the camera never cuts and there's no edit, switch angles, or almost anything. in real time. But you can't do that because uh, at the time, certainly with film, it's not like you know digital video now, where you could just roll the length of a tape, a length of a however much space you have on your card. 
with film, it's in reels. The negative, when you get the film, it's in reels. And the reels are around 10 minutes, 8 to 10 yeah, minutes. 800 feet, be about 10 minutes. Um, so you'd have to keep in mind that your take, if you're going to do one take and it's going to be brilliantly it, and seamless, it's going to be about 10 minutes before you have to figure out a way to subconsciously cut yeah. so it makes it look like it's fluid. So what Hitchcock would do is like go into somebody's back. Yeah. And then when the editing room, it would look like a fluid move where he's just passing the back and well, coming in and out. Well, the attempt was to make it like a yeah. I think move. Hitchcock for it, 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 it works. And a lot of times it does kind of work. And, and the, the problems you get, Stuart, uh, Jimmy Stewart said that was the hardest movie you ever did because if you yeah, fuck up. It was up, like doing a play. Yeah, you'd have to go back to the beginning. So that, and so the staging of it is complete. It's very, very tough to be I able think to, it was a play. And so it's kind of, yeah. it feels like it that It takes place in real it. time. So, hence the name of the movie, real, you know, <laughs> running time. So there had been a bunch of the, there had been a few of these over the years where somebody attempted to make it appear that a movie was, an entire movie was shot in one take. Even though, as we just explained, it was physically impossible to do that on film unless yeah. you were making like an eight minute movie. Yeah. But to make sure to feature film, there had to be cuts. There had to be edits. So uh, Josh Becker comes up with this idea of like, that's an, you know, like, it's a great, uh, idea, intention, but in his mind, nobody had ever exploited that um, gimmick to its fullest extent. Of the, of the story revolving around, you mean? Or, or you mean? Just that, like, you know, Hitchcock would have to push in and pull back out to things. And also, like, like you're saying, the story, the plot never really... Uh, there was never really a movie done like that where the plot... Was hinging on was, the time was frame. Yeah, yeah. important where it played. And so, Cam. So, uh, Josh Becker makes this movie called Rotting Time, and it takes place. It's like seventy minutes long. It's very short. Um, seventy minutes long. Bruce Campbell plays the lead. He is in prison. He the day he gets out, he knows. Just to give you a kind of a gist, I don't want to. I'm not going to say any spoilers if you can even find this movie at this point. It's not. Oh, okay. But Campbell. Campbell's character gets out of prison, and because he's been in prison, he knows like the laundry schedule of the prison and when the trucks come. And he has there's something about that he remembers from that he knows information, and then that information could change if he doesn't act on it as soon as he can. So he gets out of prison, gets picked up from prison, and then instantly is involved in like a bank heist. And that, that hence the, the movies all in this one take, where it's that afternoon or whatever them. Yeah. Doing this bank so heist. it's basically seventy minutes from when he gets out of prison to the end of the movie. It's all one fluid take, you know, as even best though, as they can, the best as they can. Um, and it's a heist movie, where it's like we're in a heist movie where there's a there are like, you know, we got to do this, we got to be there by the cops are going to be here in two minutes, you know, the in a plot that revolves around time and where time is important. Uh, to the characters and what's happening, um, so they shot it in black and white on 16 millimeter. Um, I'm sure one for 16 millimeter for budgetary reasons. Two because it's probably easier to lug around a fucking camera because yeah. it has to be all handheld. Um, black and white because they're going in and out uh, of indoors with tungsten lighting, outdoor daylight. Uh, for the photography people out there, there's two different color temperatures. So if black and white, you don't have to worry about color temperature. Which is most as natural as possible, the, ex- the exposure of yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, so he figured he... Unwit- but it also lends itself a good style. 
it gives itself like a classic crime movie, like a, a noir. 50s, yeah, the black and white definitely you know. does. They wear suits. I remember similar like Reservoir Dogs. So that's yeah. Well, he's cool definitely looking. in like a black. You know, he's in like he's got tie. like a black tie. And, yeah. Um, so the guys, he's he's. It's not like they're all dressed like, but he's definitely in like kind of a formal tie uh, type situation uh, in terms of wardrobe. And um, is it entirely successful? I don't know. Probably not. But it's an interesting movie, and especially. Uh, you and I at the time that it came out and we saw it we were in film school shooting 16 millimeter film and shooting 16 black and white <laughs> reversal probably on the same equipment they used like you know? CP16s or REs so, so I think like, there was a bit of a fascination of like this was how are they doing on. it you know because it isn't there's a scene where the car breaks down and they're like switching a tire yeah, and yeah. they cut on like they, they go into the tire and they're like you know like they take the tire off and it comes to the camera and that's the cut like, so I think we played a game of like where we can find the yeah. cuts but someone whip pans and like, somebody runs by and you get like that one frame where it's all like clothing and then they can cut on that yeah. some of the I'd say honestly I'd say most of the cuts are pretty successful yeah. some of them you can really you can really catch but for the most part it, it does a really good job and so I was thinking about it because I was going to watch it yesterday Partly because I've been wanting to watch it, and also partly because I knew we were going to talk about Campbell today. Um, to think that, like, that's, like, so foreign to, like, the kids that want to make movies today. Yeah. That's all going out the window. You don't have like, to worry you can, about... You can do... A basically, one take. You basically can do a whole feature in one well, take. Well, you have you these... You basically have a, a whole genre now, which I think maybe Blair Witch-ish, kind of like, where it's all that kind of... Um, I guess Blair Witch in those movies, the found footage yeah, film, yeah. they're not really one takers, but it's kind of like in that neighborhood of, you know, stuff going. You know, I always found that those weird where they uh, you um, watch, they find these True Detective, the, the show? HBO show. No, I've heard a lot. I've heard the. There is an amazing scene. Uh, William Freakin's going to do season two of that. It, it, the, the shows you would be way into it. It's yeah. it's it's really it's a good show, but there is a scene where like uh, there's a lot of shit going on, and and Matthew McConaughey has to go, and he goes into like this crack house, blah blah blah. It's all this like, and the cops. It's like a crazy scene, and you don't even realize it until there's like ha- you're like almost through the whole scene. You're like, wait a second, it never cut. <laughs> You know, who's, you, you, <laughs> you know, like for like literally like six, seven minutes, and it's like all this action and going through houses and backyards and ducking the police coming by, and there's all this shit going on, and it's all a single take. And I don't, I don't know if that has to do with a little bit of movie digital, you know, computer magic Nowadays, to kind yeah. of push that along, or if they actually managed to like, br- like so brilliantly uh, Stages, block yeah. everything to make that work. But um, so there's a little taste. I mean, of I knew that. like uh, uh, when music videos were big back in the the 80s and 90s. There's a couple of videos that would try to do one takes, and certainly Brian De Palma was the king of that for a little while, where he'd have great one takes, like in The Untouchables, Carlito's Way, uh, the opening of that movie, Snake Eyes, is entirely yeah. one take, which is great Steadicam stuff. Um, but y- nowadays, you don't need to worry about that. You know, I mean, like I always like I was gonna say before my point was I've always find it preposterous, like the Blair Witch, where they find this. There's this horrible, you know, these people have been killed and we found the footage, so let's edit it together. <laughs> let's make it very entertaining for everyone to watch it. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's interesting, and, and you're right, nowadays it's it's an idea that you don't have to worry about because you just get an 8 gig or a 16 gig memory card and you can do a, you know, a, a six hour movie, or however the hell you want. And you don't have to worry about syncing 
uh, camera issues, like you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, temperature for lighting, you know, nothing. There's everything. You can do everything you want on your iPhone. Yeah. And, and edit think, it on your and laptop. And to think that that, that was like, running time's probably a 98, 99, five years later. Yeah. They could have done that on like mini DV with 24p and actually been able to like do it. I mean, I don't know if you physically could do it. I don't know if an actor could really, if you could really get everything. There's a movie, um, The Guardian or something. It was uh, one of those Thai martial arts movies. Um, the guy who's like an Angbok, he became like a Tony Ja. I think he's in it. It has to do with like an elephant or something. But there is a scene where that's almost like... Oh, the Protector? Yeah, is it the Protector? Yeah, 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 But there's that fight scene where he... It's like he goes in to get somebody that's like on the top floor. Are you sure? That, is that, that's not one of the... That's not an Umbach? Or is it, oh, you're right. That's the Protector. And he has to go up the stairs. And he goes up and it's like, and it's like, the, it's like the Guggenheim or something where it's like... It's like there's all these floors, but they're... The lobby is, is open, so yeah. the, 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 the staircase is against the wall and it's about four and stories. And it spirals up. Uh, and there's each level, but you can look over the balcony and look back down <laughs> yeah, at the yeah. lobby. And... I heard this story maybe from you. And he goes and he fights people all the way in one to the take. top. In and one I had tank. heard that the, that they had an American. Uh, I don't know if there's any stock in this, but the the, the urban legends they had an American um, uh, Steadicam operator, and he couldn't do it, so they had to bring in an Asian or or like you know one of them, and and he was able to do it in that one take. But I mean, it's pretty impressive. He's throwing guys off the. I mean, look, mouth. it's not like the most intricate. Like detailed fight scene. No, but, but the it's fact that it's able to do a four-minute take upstairs, where he's he's you know you, you have he's having guys fly at him, he's throwing guys up, and you know he's not really connect. It's not a real fight, where, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. he's not really killing people. But then there's a lot of those movies like Born to Fight and those movies where they, it looks like they're actually just killing people because they don't care. Now getting back to Campbell, I'd be remiss <laughs> to, to get back on track. To, so we to, can to wrap before, this baby yeah, before up. we end this. I will, uh, two big things we should probably mention and, and pick your brain about Briscoe County yeah. and then of course the Evil Deads okay. because I bet you a lot of people you know been uh, waiting and, and you know even <laughs> and before Bubba Hotep yeah, what, yeah. what's going on with Bubba Hotep why didn't they make any sequels and don't you love Ozzy Davis <laughs> um, I do love Ozzy Davis God rest his soul God rest his soul um, his wife just died yeah. recently friends with Dr. King I think at the time um, um Aussie was I don't know why It never got made There was talk They were going to do a sequel There was a name Wasn't there There was. I thought they were Almost in pre-production And then it kind of And it's the weirdest You talk about Weird fucking movies Yeah yeah You know uh, Bruce Is in there And he uh, They never explain He's convinced he's Elvis Living in a convalescent home <laughs> It's not that he's convinced He's Elvis It's he that is he is Elvis. Elvis And then Aussie is Is he Robert Or is he John Kennedy He's supposed to be John Kennedy and he's had plastic surgery after the assassination attempt. Yeah, and they have and him they in hiding. Because I, I remember that in the eighties, there was a, it was always like a, you know, there was an urban legend that Kennedy was still alive, living as a vegetable somewhere. He didn't yeah, die. Yeah. So, uh, so it's the two of them, and they get put into in Florida, like in, they're like in a, in, in like in a, a rest home or a convalescent home. home. Yeah, and they, and you know, and, and then they're, <laughs> they're trying to convince each other of who they are. And, and then there's like a, 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 and there's a mummy. Yeah. Based on a short story, I think, is how that, that, that kind of crazy story came about. Uh, Campbell plays Elvis, who wanted to get away from the fame of being Elvis. So he employs 
an Elvis impersonator to uh, be Elvis with the intention that he could just take a few years off and come back and be Elvis again. But then the fucking guy dies. (laughs) (laughs) The impersonator drops dead, right? So Elvis is now dead. So now he's, uh, you know, he's living as the Elvis impersonator. They switched places, basically. Uh, it's a brilliant concept. Whoever, I mean, and I don't so know. now he's he's alive. He's Elvis, and nobody believes him, and he can't really be Elvis. So now he's in this convalescent home. Um, <laughs> Ozzy Davis believes he's John F. Kennedy, and there's a mummy. It is uh, Don Coscarelli from Phantasm Fame and Beastmaster. Um, his last movie, also a really zany but interesting movie, which is uh, John Dies at the End. I think is the name of it. Um, it's it's an interesting movie. Uh, Campbell is great in it. Yeah, possibly Campbell's greatest performance. Yeah, he is really good in it. Um, oh, he was the right age. A well, lot, I mean, they did age co- him, no, but for I mean, like it, but... a lot of things, you know, seem to play into that. That you get a good performance. The movie doesn't seem. I, I've only seen it once, but it didn't seem to be cheap. It didn't no, seem it to have seemed, that. Cheap, it, had a good budget feel, and then with I the saw, mummy, I, I saw it at the movies, and I remember thinking. Um, I want to say Shaun of the Dead came out somewhere not too long after that because I remember um, in a lot of ways Bubba Hotep is uh, a movie that's trying to straddle that line of comedy and horror as Shaun of the Dead and the Evil Dead do, and do it successfully because a lot of people try but they can't and I feel like for me Shaun, uh, Bubba Hotep was never it's not entirely successful. Um, as Shaun of the Dead as, says. Whereas Shaun of the Dead is, and I remember when I seen Shaun of the Dead, seeing it, how successful it can be, then looking back at Boba Hotep and saying, like, oh, because Shaun of the Dead, it's dramatic when it needs to be. It's, it commits. And then it's scary when it needs to be. It commits to being a zombie movie. And then it commits to being a comedy. It commits when it needs to, whereas, in my opinion, Boba Hotep doesn't always commit when it needs to and it ends up being like this murky middle ground a lot of the time not to say that that's like a huge like you should all this movie suck it's totally entertaining it's fucking weird as fuck and Bruce Campbell is brilliant in it so I totally recommend it um, I don't know why it never came off why it never there was definitely a sequel um, and then they were going to do another one that had something to do with Paul Giamatti or something And see it seemed like it almost went and See, that's hard to straddle that line because I think, uh, you know, Sean does it so well, in my opinion, because they don't make fun of each other. The comedy isn't making fun of the horror so much. The horror yeah. isn't making fun of the comedy. It, like you say, when it needs to be horrific, it is. And when, it, when it's funny, it, it, it also is And as when well. it's, like, t- dramatic, it's tear-jerking. Uh, yeah, you know, and it's, it's, we, we, you and I talked recently, I was saying how I, I had the, the pleasure of speaking with Joe Piscopo and I talked to him about our favorite movie, Dead Heat, which is kind of the same thing. It's, it's, yeah. but he said to me, he says, one of the biggest problems with that movie is we didn't know how to play it. We're playing it for laughs at one point. We're yeah. playing it serious. So if it's really hard when the director can't lay down, especially if you're going for the duality of yeah, yeah. a horror comedy. When is, you know, what's the tone and how does it work? And 
and that'll affect the overall output yeah. or something. But, when, um, but with Bubba Hotep, when I say it's not entirely successful all the time, that also means that it's not entirely unsuccessful. Um, I think it does work a lot of time, but I feel like sometimes it also kind of doesn't. Um, but that, so Bubba Hotep, classic. I yeah. mean, if you're going to pick, like, Campbell movies. Yeah, here we go. You have to go. Let's, let's do five. If you go five, like, you have to, well. It's you, our list. You easily have to pick all three Evil Dead movies. So, unfortunately, it takes up three no, of Do Let's do that as one. The Evil Dead trilogy is one. Okay. So, then I'm going to say for Bubba Hotep, number two. I'm going to say Running Time. Running Time. You can find <laughs> three. Uh, <laughs> Special place in your my heart for that. What do you mean? But we've already discussed what I mean. And would you say Moontrap on there as well? Be- best Campbell movies. Movies are tough because he's Because not- he's only like like Maniac Cop. I love that freaking movie. And Maniac Cop 2 is in the beginning, you know? Yeah. Or, um, you know, so it's like a lot of dark man great movies only in the he, he's in the last shot he turns around <laughs> that's it so does that mean a great movie but just to see Bruce turn around uh, you know Briscoe County or, you he know. has a lot of TV movies you know when we that's another thing when we were in college it was like I often talk about with horror it was like a weird for me it was like perfect storm the college was like there was a time Campbell was uh, Disney was trying to come back with the Disney Sunday Night movies when we yeah. and I were freshmen God well, the him. first one they did was a movie called uh, Gold Rush, like a true Alaskan adventure or something like that. It was called Gold Rush, and then there was like a tagline. And it was about like the gold rush of Alaska. And it starred Alyssa Milano and Bruce Campbell, oh, which God. couldn't have been a better cast for me, Not especially for you, yeah. at that time. Yeah. <laughs> he also did another one, which was a Herbie the Love Bug. Yeah, I remember that TV one. movie. Yeah. Um, when they were Which trying, is, and we're not talking about the Michael Keaton Lindsay Lohan. No, this reboot. was like '98. Yeah, um, <laughs> Michael Keaton. Let's take Michael Keaton and let's put Lindsay Lohan in the same movie. That was just on Love in book. Spanish, like on Telemundo before I came over here. I, I it's like Justin it. Long. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> I'll watch Michael Keaton in anything. So I mean, uh, you know, at one point I'm going to probably watch that. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to come back. We'll think of what the last two positions are before the end of this. So let's go to. Um, but, Briscoe. I mean, so it's it's tough to think about movies because I mean if you're going to just go like projects, I mean Evil Dead, Briscoe, great series. I just rewatched it probably for in its entirety for the first time. I don't even know if I saw now, them how all did it. How did it get there? One season. One season is like twenty six. Now what was the maybe? concept of the show? What's the or member? And then then we have Billy Drago who well, I it's had a, a very affinity for. It's time. a very um, up it, our alley. It's a playing serial. Like, you know, like an old-time serial thing. And instead of... The idea is to not... You know, Indiana Jones is a certain kind of serial. Yeah. Star Star Wars was trying to play off of, like, Buck the, Rogers yeah, that and Matinee, Flash Gordon. Side Saturday, fiction, yeah. The Shadow you know. and Tarzan. So, Saturday morning, Western. So, what they tried to do is, like, let's take a Western Saturday morning serial... And we'll add a sci-fi element. We'll try to combine... Which works, because like, it's a mashup. Two, Usually, two yeah. classic... Um, he plays Bruce. Uh, Bruce Campbell plays Briscoe County. His dad is Briscoe County Senior, who uh, just to tie it all up into a quick little uh, nutshell of a of a plot. He, his dad is like the sheriff of all. He's like the wider like lawman, like famous lawman. It's funny, this is all coming back. It's like you describing a father dowling mysteries <laughs> episode to me. Like it's all, I haven't thought about this since it aired. I'm like, I remembered all this from the pilot. Played by... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, who played his father? It's uh, probably someone big. Ermy. 
Arlie Ermey? Arlie Ermey plays his dad. Nice. <laughs> uh, Briscoe County Senior. Yeah. He's transporting the Bly, old. John Bly. Billy Drago. Played by Billy, the great Billy Drago. Great, And great. like his 12 henchmen. His 12 main guys. He's caught them. His gang. He's positive. He's, the Billy Drago, the, the uh, John Bly gang posse. He's transporting them to prison or whatever. And basically they're sprung. There's a, it's a, they're on a train, locomotive. Some of the other John Bly guys end up like derailing the train. There's a, and they kill Briscoe County Sr. So John Bly's out. Um, so basically, like the robber barons of you know the old west, the big businessmen find this to be. Uh, they're going to you know this is a problem. Billy Drago's robbing trains; he's stealing money from out of their pocket. So they hire a bounty hunter named Briscoe County Jr. <laughs> to go after him. Who is? It's a very interesting thing because character because he is like a Harvard or Yale like Harvard like law he's a lawyer he's an educated man who's from the east who's decided to come back and be a bounty hunter and he's hired to round up John Bly who killed his father and all of his his men doesn't he have some sort of tick like he has had or something does he have something that he like he's a lucky, or he has a he has. Doesn't he have like he's a he's he's a sharpshooter? Well, trick he's shot, a hell I mean. of a shot. Yeah, and they give him his dad's gun. Yeah, so that's a big uh, thing. And he's got his horse. Um, and then who's the his sidekick? The guy with the bowler hat. There is, and he has a rival who eventually they become partners, Lord Bowler, um, and. At the beginning of their rivals, they're both going after the bounties, and then they decide to eventually. And then there's uh, Socrates, who's like a lawyer, who's like his conduit to the robber barons. And then in the, in the midst of all this thing, there's this thing called the orb. And it's never really fully explained what it is, but it holds powers. Throughout the show, it heals people. Uh, it allows Campbell, allows Bruce, uh, Briscoe County to travel through time. Uh, and Drago's character certainly knows what it is. And don't we even lead to believe that he may not be, he, he could be something associated with it? He's after it. Let's just put it that way. I yeah. don't want to spoil it. Okay. <laughs> See, this is all that I'm remembering from, you know, circa um, 1991 or two. But then towards the end, it's like he, then like the, eventually in the series, he captured, you know, he's taking care of Bly, he's taking out Bly's men. And then it just becomes like a weird... They run out of ideas. Adventures, you know, just the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. We've kind of abandoned the overall story arc, and it starts to just be about other things. There's other characters. Dixie, Dixie Cousins is like the female uh, burlesque singer that is like his main love interest to the show. And um, it's a definitely, um, and he's not the Ash, yeah. you know, braggart. You know, cocky guy. I mean, he's totally charming and awesome in the show and everything. Um, definitely a different kind of hero than I think people think of him as. It's a, it's a, it's a fun show. And unfortunately, like I don't feel like, you know, it was a western. It originally aired before X Files when Fox was trying to, uh, you know, have their own like, you know, in the late '80s into the early '90s, Fox was really starting to try to become their own network 
We just saw a runaway horse going up 6th Avenue. You see it there? It's, it's taking a left now. I don't like that. We just passed Speaking the Podwood Studios. Briscoe. We had a runaway horse. So uh, let's hope the horse is all right. Uh, so, yes. Speaking of, now let's talk about... Um, so Briscoe County. It's on DVD. Uh, Netflix. Uh, yeah, readily available. You should, it's, aw- it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, what about now, of course, Evil Dead? Evil Dead, I've always been partial. I probably saw Army of Darkness first. and uh, But I've always been partial to the first one. Uh, the thing about the Evil Dead movies is the first one tries to be... It, it's trying... It's hokey, and so it's kind of funny because it's so low budget and dated and whatnot. So it, there's a, it, it's kind of unintentionally comedic. Uh, but that's always been my favorite. I find it extremely creepy, the low budgetness, the... You know, the women with the, you know, like those fucking big glass uh, contact, white contact lenses. Like spew, soul. Spewing up like milk <laughs> and black shit. Well, the first one And the woman gets be, raped in the woods. It's extremely creepy. The, the first, first one, one seems to be played completely straight. Definitely it's the intention, yeah. I think people think of it as comedic because they've seen the other ones. And like I said, it's kind of dated and a little bit hokey because yeah. of it. Um but I find the f- the original one really kind of scary and disturbing. I-, I think it's totally successful. I think you see it's a brilliant it's brilliant to see um, a filmmaker who they when they started like shooting or at least raising money for Evil Dead. Like Sam Raimi was like nineteen. It's amazing. So I mean, they made evil. He made Evil Dead like when he was twenty. <clears throat> you know, what so, have we done? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I think it's brilliant. You see somebody who just fucking has it when you watch Evil yeah. Dead. You see that like everything that became like a signature style thing for Raimi is there, uh, maybe in a kind of a primitive form, maybe not fully realized. Often I feel fully realized, but not. Uh, technically, you know, the money and the technology maybe not, not might not be there to make it as polished as it would eventually become. But I, I, it's a, it is a, I mean, it's kind of a masterpiece. I mean, there are certain films, I feel like we've talked about Rodriguez. I mean, I feel like when you watch like El Mariachi, um, you, it's just like, it's a guy, you're seeing you're just you're watching something you you're watching something made by somebody who's fucking brilliant yeah um and i think evil dead is that way i mean so many filmmakers make movies young filmmakers especially especially these days are you know making things that are reminiscent of everything else but you minute you see you watch evil dead and whether like the cabin and whatever, whatever you think, take, which I think the way they approach the material is very original in and of itself. But even if you want to argue that the conventions that they use for horror movies are kind of played out and done before, Raimi's style as a quote unquote auteur is fucking present from fucking the, the fucking the first shot. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you know, and, and it's given him a successful career after that. I mean, he's really been able to. For certain. So for for me, my money, Evil Dead is great. Um, there's great commentaries. Uh, for the original DVD releases of of Evil Dead had a commentary by Bruce Campbell by himself, and a commentary by 
uh, Raimi and Tapert, where they bust Bruce Campbell's chops a lot. <laughs> um, they're like, well, you know, I bet you what Bruce is saying right now. Um, and then when it came out on Blu-ray, they did a commentary that's all three of them, which is totally, if you're a budding filmmaker interested in low-budget filmmaking, low-budget horror, that's a great commentary because because they've already talked about Evil Dead a million fucking times. They already did commentaries. The That commentary on the Blu-ray edition has all three of them is them talking about not the movie itself, but the making of the movie. Like the logistics. It's, it's a lot about talking about how they raised the money. It's a lot about talking about like you know the sets and the effects. It's not like a scene by scene retelling as they're watching. Like, oh, like when we did this scene. It's more of a discussion about three guys who made a movie, and it's more of like a, an education. Yeah. So it's a really cool commentary. Evil Dead Two. Completely same, very similar movie, but completely different animal. And it's interesting they retell at the beginning. They they just just in case you miss, they sum up. And even in the third one, they sum up. And it, which one is Bridget Fonda in? That's in the third one. She's the, she's in the beginning. And initially, what it was was they wanted to just use the footage from Evil Dead Two to retell the beginning of of Army of Darkness. But there was something to do with legally, logistically, they weren't allowed to use the footage at first. Um. So like fuck it, and also some of the shots, like Campbell cutting off his arm in the beginning of Army of Darkness, is a different shot, and it was a, it was a combination of they couldn't, they didn't think they could use the footage at first, and also like the way Campbell cuts off his hand in Evil Dead Two, the shot itself is not uh, conducive to a f- quick flashback. It's it's made f- it's not intended yeah, it's, yeah, for that. Yeah. So they reshot it. And um, they're like, fucking, you know, there was a different Linda between the first movie and the second movie. We should just cast a new Linda. Um, Sam Raimi had met Bridget Fonda, and she's just like, I love the Evil Dead movies. If I can be in the new one, I totally will. So they put Bridget Fonda in it. And as Kim Ram, Ray, and Raimi jokes, he said, he's, we need an, actor, an actress with a mouth big enough to get the camera into because she screams in the camera. And it kind of pulls into her, her mouth. That's but, funny. It's a great movie, and then you know, and then it's interesting. The third one with all the, for years, the notorious different cuts that you find up on TV, yeah, and the alternate ending. Even the director's the... cut is there's a TV cut, a director's cut, and the regular cut, and they're all pretty different. I mean, they're all basically the same, but they all have footage that's not in the others. Um, the director's cut has uh, what's called the alternate ending, but it was the original ending. Um, it's a it, it's a that's a fun movie that I think you just have to kind of embrace and go for the ride, um, you know. There's a lot of homage to Ray Harryhausen in that, yeah. and certain kinds of movies, and it's funny and it's it's like Ash at his most like stooge buffoon. <laughs> the whole movie hinges on the fact that he can't remember the three words he needs to say. <laughs> For the Necronomicon, and you know when he wins the big battle at the end, everybody's like, like praising him. But it's like none of that, none of it would have happened had he just remembered the words. Um, but uh, Army of Darkness, classic. I mean, and it's short. It's like eighty-one minutes or wow. something. It's a even the director's cut is is less than ninety, I think. Um, so that is a movie that I could watch endlessly. You know, originally years ago. Um, with the iPads and I 
before the iPads, you had the iPods and MP3 players. And I had this old MP3 player. It wasn't an Apple product, but it was pretty big and had a pretty decent screen. And you could watch like ABI files on it. And I used to travel for work and I'd be sitting on trains and buses and stuff. And so like the, I had like just a couple of movies that were always on there because like I could just sit and turn them on whenever I was bored. And Army of Darkness was, was so just like permanently the on there. Because no matter what, I could just turn on Army of Darkness and watch some of it. I remember they, that, was it for Evil Dead 1 or Evil Dead 2? They came out with that edition that was like the Necronomicon. It was like the foamy book. Originally, it was, real, ah. it was, originally it, was, it was Evil Dead. And then they came out with one for Evil Dead 2. I have the, the Evil Dead one. I don't have the Evil Dead it's 2 freaky. one. And it's then, like a latex. Yeah. And you open like, it up and it's the... It's like, foam, a little, it's like a little mouth. <laughs> oh, it's real creepy. And then they now they just uh, redone the uh, the they new re- one. and They remade it, yeah. And then what are they... Didn't they and they had Campbell show up in the end. A he very, 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 very end. A post-credits a post, uh, credit sequence. Yeah. And now there's... And there's been talks since the first Evil Dead. I mean, since the remake of Evil Dead. There's been talks that they might do another Army of Darkness. You know, with like, him in it. Yeah. Which would be different from which, if they did their sequel uh, with the remake. Which we, he and I talked about when we, when we did the, I did the interview. I don't remember if it's on the Podwitz part or on the Dread Central part. Um, he talks about how Raimi has been um, threatening <laughs> to, to write a script uh, for it for a long time. But it's a matter of getting... He wants to do it with his brother Ivan. They wrote Army of Darkness together. Um and so it's just a matter of finding I think for them to find time I think doing an Evil Dead movie that was less labor intensive for them by producing the remake I think made them want to maybe do another one and like kind of rekindled a little yeah. bit of that flame a little bit of the fire that they had for the for that series and seeing other people do it I think it was like you know what like we can do you know what we can do one we can do another one and it'll be just you know, father. They can rebottle that. that you know, because they, it was because uh, they've all had the, they all had their challenges, um, and even the first, even the in Army of Darkness got caught up in some kind of legal battle with uh, Dealer de Norentes. So it, even after they finished it, it didn't really even come out for a whole year. Yeah. After and um, but uh, he. You know, put a bad taste in their mouth, and yeah. yeah. So hopefully now we'll get something new out of it. So it would be great for them to do another one. I don't know now, but it has lived on. There's numerous video games. Yeah, there's a Broadway that, show that came. There was a, I don't know if it was, it was off Broadway, but there's a mu- Evil Dead the musical, which is a lot of fun. Uh, I saw it when it comic was, books when it was here. So, a ton of comic books. They did. Um, there's Army Darkness comic books. There's uh, there's Freddy versus Jason versus Ash comic books toys there was uh, there's been lots of figures and stuff even when they had that series of Marvel zombies there was a Marvel zombies with with Ash so Cam is an so, Ash show up in Waxworks too right uh, well Campbell does yeah, yeah. Not, oh uh, yeah, I thought he was as, as Ash no uh, Waxworks too he come he shows up in like the haunting parody as like the doctor. Uh, playing the part of the Doctor. Oh, the, the Robert Wise's yeah, yeah, The yeah. Haunting off of Shirley Jackson's book, The um, Haunting. Um, and there's even a Dark Man. There was a Dark Man versus Army of, uh, versus Ash. Dark Man Ash crossover comic book wow. series. I hope hopefully they're all getting a, a cut of that check. <laughs> you know, for all so that. So there's been a lot of uh, Ash. Rights. Bruce Campbell related comic book, Sam Raimi related comic book. So there's a whole there. it's like it's like between the Star Wars or the Star Trek. There's a whole lot of universes being written. That could become Bible, whatever. That's interesting. And I think a lot of, at least the, the, at least some of the Army of Darkness series, I mean, when they released Army of Darkness, the movie, 
they did a three-part uh, comic book, I think with Dark Horse, which was the movie told in comic book form. And apparently, and Raimi and, and Ivan, uh, Raimi, Sam and the they wrote, I think they wrote the comic book, and they actually thought it was a lot of fun because they could do things in the comic book that they couldn't do with the movie. So there's a lot of like funny thought bubbles where you get to see what Ash was actually thinking during, the <laughs> during those That's scenes funny. that you couldn't really do in the, in the movie. And so it, it kind of lived in comic book form instantly from Army of Darkness. But then over the years, it's with the popularity of the films and everything, it's kind of... There has been, and I, but I think a lot of them are just like one-offs. There's one where he gets pulled into like the the vortex, and he lands in England, and it's him versus like Jack the Ripper. It's like a lot of like what, not not even a continuous, like, almost series. like what ifs, <laughs> yeah, That's like just like single, ep- like not a episodic, but yeah. Oh, geez, we, we can go on for hours, and hours and hours talking about Bruce Campbell, the man, but, the myth, uh, the legend. So I would check out some, if you're in the comic books, there's a plethora of, of, of Evil Dead Ash comic books you can check out. Uh, you're in the mood for some television and you've maybe already watched Burn Notice and you want to check out some other Campbell, Briscoe County. Uh, Jack classic. of all trades. Uh, uh, Jack of all trades was was kind of <laughs> was it was. Well, a, just, I, I think I'm just throwing out his TV stuff. Was a short lived fun series, also uh, produced by Raymond Tabor. Um, but the, the good thing, but the good thing about Briscoe County, uh, family friendly. Yeah, it's very watch, friendly. You can, yeah. you can watch it with the whole family. Yeah, and then um, um, and he's he's in print too. He, how many? He's got a couple books. Like he's got to. currently has two books. I feel yeah. like we got the exclusive when I talked to him because he talked about how he's writing a new book. Yeah. Which is kind of a, a a second addition to his uh, autobiography, um, because over the last thirteen years, his career had, with Burn Notice, with all these other things that a lot of which we have already talked about. There's so much stuff that's happened in his career that has happened since he wrote the first book. Uh, but I would totally check out his first book. His second book, book How to Make Love the Bruce Campbell Way, is uh, more of a narrative and not and less autobiographical. Um, he does it, books on tapes as well, which it's you a, like. It's a fun read, but um, I would definitely read the first one. Uh, the only saving grace of the second one is that if you get the book on, quote-unquote, book on tape or audio book, it's done like a radio show. Oh, that's so he cool. brings in a lot of his friends, like Ted Raimi, a lot of actor friends, and they, they go through the book, and it's done like it's a big, long radio show. Um, but his reading of the of his first book, just him reading it, is, is also entertaining. Um, and then movies. you got the Army of Darkness. Um, you know, you always love seeing them in The Last Shot of Dark Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we talked about Moontrap's classic. Congo. Yeah, uh, 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 Moontrap, he, he doesn't have a huge part in comparison, but it's a bigger part than most of those kinds of movies. I just watched Maniac Cop for the first time in a long time um, because I was going to talk to Jay Chadaway who did the music for it. Um, that's, that's Tom Atkins, right? Or, uh, what, isn't Atkins in there? Atkins, yeah, Atkins is in that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, that's a fun one too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a totally, it's a straight part for him. I mean, yeah. he's not playing any kind of like, it's, it's not it's not a funny you know, no. portrayal. Um but uh, I would say Maniac Cop because there's not that many movies where he's like the star. Yeah, know? so I, I would say or, or have, being straight as well. Yeah, so I feel like you would have to put like Maniac Cop in that list of five <laughs> <laughs> that we're talking. So about. That's four. So Bubba Hotep, Evil Dead, uh, Running Time. Run. If we're gonna put a Running Time, we're Moon gonna put trap. in. Uh, we're gonna put in Maniac Cop. 
Moonshine. I, I'm going with Moonshine. <laughs> okay, Moonshine. Sure. That's your five. That's your five. That's your Moontra. five. All right. Um, I would check out Minnow's Mind also, classic. Even that, he's only in the, the first special, five minutes. That's the, uh, that's the bonus, the, the special one. <laughs> he's so. only in the first five minutes, but if you like Billy Campbell, like I do, Rocketeer. No, who doesn't? Brand Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> You know, he was in something. Oh, he he played. He was in the uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly adaptation of uh, the uh, the day Lincoln was shot. His books. Uh, you know, he does those, those books on tapes of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did the they did the uh, Lincoln one on National Geographic, and Billy Campbell played Lincoln. Very good Lincoln. No Lance Henriksen Lincoln though. <laughs> from <laughs> That's TNT. for another time. Yeah, but uh, thank you very much for listening um, to our to our extensive love of Bruce Campbell. Uh, nap now. I know, so we're just we're just burned <laughs> out. Please listen to us on podwits.com. Uh, we have the sidecast. Uh, Jay Blake and us and I uh, have another uh, little fun thing coming out very soon. Soon, as well. Uh, you, we're on we'll iTunes. Prob- we'll probably do it. We'll do a Campbell movie or two for that. Yeah, uh, we're on Facebook. We're on uh, what are we? We're on Podroid. We're on Twitter. Check us out. Tell a friend. We're free. We have articles. We I'm have- going to have an album coming out soon. Uh, Jay Blake's got an album coming out soon. Oh, when you coming home? Yeah, it's like blues music. It's a blues album coming out, so you can listen to, to, to Jay Blake there. We'll certainly interview him for that. We'll put a link up to this site for that. So, got a lot going on. So, please tell a friend and, uh, you know, check out podwits.com. Uh, and until next time, later. Mm-hmm.